Hello everyone and welcome back to Pod. For those of you who are new here, hello, my name is Regina Sumarli and I'm a third year medical student. In today's episode, we are continuing on from last week with our endogyny series. Go check out last week's episode on PCOS by Lewis if you haven't had a chance to listen to it yet. Today, we are going to discuss the physiological changes of pregnancy, both caused by an alteration in hormone production and increasing fetal size. I will take you through this topic system by system, ranging from musculoskeletal, endocrine, reproductive, cardiovascular, respiratory, gastrointestinal, metabolic, renal and urinary, as well as hematology. As we know, the body goes through a large number of changes during pregnancy. It helps to know what changes are normal in healthy pregnant women and when do we have to investigate further for possible underlying diseases. To start off, let us take a look at the musculoskeletal system. The physiological changes occurring in this system includes postural changes and articular changes. Firstly, we have postural changes. The overall equilibrium of the spine and pelvis changes as the pregnancy progresses and this leads to a change in posture. This is especially due to weight gain, increased blood volume, and ventral growth of the fetus. As a result, the center of gravity no longer falls over the feet. There will be an increase in anteroposterior and medilateral sway and thus women may need to lean backwards to gain equilibrium, resulting in disorganization of spinal curves. This leads to a shift of posture with exaggerated lumbar lordosis and this leads to the typical gait of late pregnancy. Next, we have some articular changes that occur during pregnancy. During pregnancy, there are altered levels of relaxin, estrogen, and progesterone which results in an alteration to collagen metabolism. This laxity is a result of breakdown of collagen in a targeted tissue and it will then be replaced by a modified form that contains higher water content. This will then increase connective tissue pliability and extensibility. As a result, ligamentous tissues are predisposed to laxity with reduced passive joint stability. Ligament laxity reaches its maximum at the second trimester. Symphysis pubis and sacroiliac joints are particularly affected to allow birth of a baby. Bear in mind that ligamentous laxity may continue for 6 months postpartum. Due to these changes, the normal pubic symphysial gap of 4 to 5 mm shows an average increase of 3 mm during pregnancy. Pelvic joint loosening begins around week 10 with maximum loosening near term. Sacrococcygeal joints are also loosened. By the time we reach the third trimester, the hip abductors, extensors, and ankle plantar flexors increase their net power during gait and there is an increase in load of the hip joints 2.8 times of the normal value when standing. Next, we will discuss a bit about hormonal changes. Pregnancy alters the function of most endocrine glands. This is partly due to the production of hormones by the placenta and partly because most hormones circulate in protein-bound forms and protein binding increases during pregnancy and therefore affect the amount of free hormones in the circulation. Few hormones that are altered during pregnancy include beta-HCG or the beta-human chorionic neurotrophin, TSH or the thyroid-simulating hormone, ACTH or the adrenocorticotrophic hormone, MSH or the melanocytes-releasing hormone, and prolactin. Let's start with beta-HCG, beta-human chorionic gonadotrophin. It is a trophic hormone like FSH and LH, which maintains the corpus luteum and prevents ovulation. Initially, beta-HCG levels will rise as you go further in pregnancy, roughly doubling every 48 hours until they plateau around 8 to 12 weeks, then gradually starts to fall. 
Due to the production of beta-HCG, levels of estrogen and progesterone increase early during pregnancy, as this beta-HCG stimulates the ovaries to continuously produce them. After week 9 to 10 of pregnancy, the placenta itself produces a large amount of estrogen and progesterone to help maintain the pregnancy. Placenta also produces a hormone that is similar to the TSH or the thyroid stimulating hormone that stimulates the thyroid, causing hyperplasia, increased vascularity, and moderate enlargement. Estrogen that was also increased stimulates hepatocytes, which will lead to an increase in thyroid binding globulin levels. Thus, although total thyroid may increase, levels of free thyroid hormones remain normal. Effects of thyroid hormone tend to increase and may resemble hyperthyroidism with tachycardia, palpitations, excessive perspiration, and emotional instability. True hyperthyroidism is rare in pregnancy. Moving on, the placenta also produces corticotrophin-releasing hormone or the CRH, which stimulates maternal ACTH or the adrenocorticotrophic hormone production. Increased ACTH levels increase the production of adrenal hormones, especially aldosterone and cortisol, and thus contribute to edema due to retention of sodium and consequently water. The placenta also produces melanocyte-stimulating hormone or the MSH, which increases skin pigmentation in late pregnancy. The pituitary gland enlarges by about 135% during pregnancy. The maternal plasma prolactin level increases by tenfold. This increase in prolactin is related to an increase in thyrotrophin-releasing hormone production, stimulated by estrogen. The primary function of increased prolactin is to ensure lactation. The level returns to normal postpartum even in those who breastfeed. Now, we have gone through a couple of hormonal changes that occur in pregnancy. It is important to bear in mind that the increased production of corticosteroids and increased placental production of progesterone lead to insulin resistance and an increased need for insulin, as does the stress of pregnancy and possibly the increased level of human placental lactogen. Insulinase produced by a placenta may also increase insulin requirements, so that women with gestational diabetes develop a more overt form of diabetes. Moving on, we will discuss a bit about the changes going on in the reproductive system. During pregnancy, the internal genital tract or the reproductive systems undergo anatomical and physiological changes to accommodate the changes in development of the fetus. As pregnancy progresses, the uterus leaves the pelvic cavity and ascends to the abdominal cavity. The abdominal content is displaced in response to the increased size of the uterus, which is five times more than normal. This increase in size of the uterus is also associated with increased uterine blood supply and increased uterine muscle activity. Uterus continues to increase in size until week 38, and after that, the fundus level starts to descend, preparing for delivery. Cervix also experiences some changes. The mucous glands of the cervix enlarge during the pregnancy, and secretes a mucus plug called operculum, which acts as a seal for the uterus and protect it from ascending infection and acts as a barrier between the vagina and the cervix. Lastly, during pregnancy, there is an increase in blood supply to the vagina. Its color changes from pink to purple, and becomes more elastic in the second trimester. We will now move on to changes in the cardiovascular system, which encompass peripheral vasodilation, increased cardiac output, stroke volume, and heart rate, as well as changes in blood pressure throughout pregnancy. Firstly, we have peripheral vasodilation as well as an increase in cardiac output by 20% by week 8. There will be further increase in cardiac output by up to 40% maximum at week 20 to 28. 
In labor, there will also be further increase in cardiac output and then a huge increase immediately after delivery. It will then return to normal within an hour. The increase in cardiac output during pregnancy is due mainly to demands of the uteral placental circulation. Volume of the uteral placental circulation increases markedly and circulation within the intervillous space acts partly as an arteriovenous shunt. As the placenta and fetus develops, blood flow to the uterus must increase to about 1 liter per minute, which is already 20% of normal cardiac output at term. The increased needs of skin to regulate temperature as well as kidneys to excrete waste account for some of the increased cardiac output. To increase cardiac output, heart rate increases from the normal 70 to as high as 90 beats per minute, and stroke volume also increases. During the second trimester, Blood pressure tends to drop and pulse pressure widens, even though there is an increase in cardiac output and renin and angiotensin. This is because uteral placental circulation expands and systemic vascular resistance decreases. This decrease in resistance is due to the reduction in blood viscosity and sensitivity to angiotensin. During the third trimester, blood pressure may return to normal. Venous return in the interior vena cava can be compromised in late pregnancy if a woman lies flat on her back due to pressure from the uterus, resulting in reduced stroke volume and cardiac output. This is an important thing, and we should not lie in a pregnant woman completely flat, as reduced cardiac output can compromise fetal blood supply, and you don't want that. Exercise increases cardiac output, heart rate, oxygen consumption, and respiratory volume per minute more during pregnancy than other times. I have discussed a couple of physiological changes related to the heart. It is important to bear in mind that there will be some findings on cardiac examination or ECG changes that might be different than usual but are still in the normal range. There might be a bounding or collapsing pulse, third heart sound after mid-pregnancy, and murmurs. Systolic murmurs are common but diastolic should be considered to be potentially pathological. Moving on, let us quickly run through some metabolic changes that occur during pregnancy. During pregnancy, the basal metabolic rate increases slowly over the course of pregnancy, usually by 15-20%. to 20%. It is thought that energy requirements do not increase significantly during the first or second trimesters. There is about 200 kilocalories increase in energy requirements per day in the third trimester. However, there tends to be a decrease in active energy expenditure during pregnancy. The recommended normal weight gain in pregnancy is 11-16kg to 16 kg for a woman of normal BMI. Usually, only around 5 kg is the fetus, placenta, membranes, and amniotic fluid, and the rest is maternal stores of fat and protein and increase in extravascular volume. Weight is no longer monitored in pregnancy as it does not affect outcome and is affected by a number of factors. Now, we can move on to the respiratory system. Physiological changes in the system include changes in lung function to lower CO2 levels and increase oxygen consumption. Lung function changes partly due to the increased progesterone level and partly because of the enlarging fetus that interferes with lung expansion. Progesterone signals the brain to lower CO2 levels. To lower carbon dioxide levels, tidal and minute volume and respiratory rate increase, thus increasing plasma pH. Oxygen consumption increases by about 20% to meet the increased metabolic need of the fetus, placenta, and several maternal organs. Expiratory and inspiratory reserve residual volume and capacity as well as plasma carbon dioxide decrease. Vital capacity and plasma CO2 do not change. Thoracic circumference will also increase by around 10 cm. During pregnancy, there is usually considerable hyperemia and edema of respiratory tract. Occasionally, there may be symptomatic nasopharyngeal obstruction and nasal stuffiness. 
Eustachian tubes are transiently blocked and tone and quality of voice usually change. Maldysnia during exertion is common and deep respirations are more common as well. Next is the gastrointestinal system and the urinary system. Nausea and vomiting are common in early pregnancy. Appetite is usually increased, sometimes with specific cravings. Progesterone levels cause relaxation of the lower esophageal sphincter and thus increases reflux, making many women prone to heartburn. Pressure on the stomach from the enlarging uterus further contributes to this in later pregnancy. GI motility is usually reduced and transit time is consequently longer. Hence, this allows increased nutrient absorption. Constipation is also common during pregnancy. Next is the gallbladder. During pregnancy, there may also be an enlargement of the gallbladder and it may not fully empty. Urinary tract. As mentioned before, there is an increase in blood volume and cardiac output during pregnancy and this applies to the renal and urinary tract as well. This also causes an increase in the renal blood flow and glomerular filtration rate or the GFR by 50-60%. to 60%. This leads to increased excretion and reduced blood levels of urea, creatinine, urate and bicarbonate. This increase in GFR may lead to mild glycosuria and or proteinuria. This occurs when increase in GFR exceeds the ability of the renal tubules to reabsorb glucose and protein. In pregnancy, there is also an increase in water retention and this leads to the reduction of plasma osmolality since the blood becomes less concentrated. Bladder smooth muscle also relaxes during pregnancy and this increases its capacity as well as risk of UTI because of lower pressures in the uterus allowing for retrograde flow of urine. The enlarging uterus may also put pressure on ureters. 2-10% of women having asymptomatic bacteria in pregnancy and if untreated, up to 30% may develop acute pyelonephritis. The last system we are going to cover is hematology. The plasma volume increases over the course of pregnancy by about 50%. Dilutional anemia is caused by the rise in the plasma volume. The elevated erythropoietin level increase the total red cell mass by the end of the second trimester, but hemoglobin concentration never reached pre-pregnancy level, as the rise in plasma volume is much greater. Modus leukocytosis can be observed. Normal pregnancy also creates a demand for 1,000 mg of additional iron. While a serum iron falls during pregnancy, transferrin and total iron binding capacity rises. In terms of coagulability, levels of some clotting factors such as the 7th, 8th, 9th, and 10th, and fibrinogen increase while serenolytic activity decreases. These changes protect mom from hemorrhage at delivery, but also make pregnancy a hypercoagulable state with increased risk of thromboembolism. Then, we also have the anti-thrombin activity which remain unchanged and then the protein S activity which will decrease significantly and there's also potentially a biologically significant increase in protein C activity. We have talked about a number of physiological changes that occur during pregnancy. This will not be complete if we do not talk about one important investigation that is commonly done, bloods. So how do we interpret blood test results in pregnancy? Well, in pregnancy, hemoglobin is decreased. We should consider dilutional anemia of pregnancy when it is decreased. The white cell count is usually increased. Always consider in the light of patient's clinical status. This can make infection more difficult to diagnose. Platelets is unchanged or slightly increased. Sodium and potassium is slightly decreased. Urea is decreased. And it will be increased in dehydration, hypermesis, late stages of preeclampsia, and renal impairment. Creatine is decreased and would be increased in renal impairment in the late stage of preeclampsia. Fasting glucose should be unchanged but can be increased in diabetes. The total calcium should be decreased. 
If the total calcium is decreased, it is usually due to reduced serum albumin secondary to hemodilution, but ionized calcium is unchanged. Total calcium would be increased in primary hyperparathyroidism. The magnesium should remain unchanged, but can be decreased if there is vomiting or hyperemesis gravidarum. The albumin. The albumin is usually decreased but may decrease even further in the event of malnutrition, recurrent vomiting, or hypermesis gravidarum. Next, you have the bilirubin, which is usually decreased. Increased bilirubin can occur in obstetric cholestasis, HELP syndrome, late stages of preeclampsia, acute fatty liver, and or viral hepatitis. The ALT and AST may be unchanged or slightly decreased. Increase in ALT and AST can occur in obstetric cholestasis, HELP syndrome, late stages of preeclampsia and acute fatty liver and viral hepatitis. ALP is usually increased. Further increase in ALP can occur in metabolic bone disorder or rare pregnancy-associated conditions such as chorionic histiocytic intervillositis. TSH. The last but not the least, we have the TSH, as well as the T4 and T3. TSH usually is slightly decreased in the first trimester, and normally in the second trimester, it should go back to normal, then slightly raised in the last trimester. The free T4 and free T3 should remain unchanged, but could be increased in Graves' disease or hypermassis gravidarum. To conclude, there are various changes that occur during pregnancy that should be kept in mind. Patients may present differently than normal, but that does not mean that it is always pathological. It is very, very important to always consider lab results in the light of a patient's clinical status. Thank you so much for listening to this episode. Be sure to follow our social media platforms and tune in next week for our next episode of the Endovivine series on endometriosis. If you enjoyed the episode, please do follow us at Aberdeen University Endocrinology Society on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Also, please make sure to share this podcast with your friends and colleagues. We thank you for the support. If you have any requests for a future podcast, please let us know. Thank you.